صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنرز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 اي Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Yusuf. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, listeners. And Michael is our uh, dear friend uh, and a frequent uh, commentator on the show. We're lucky to have Michael again. Michael Sheikh is an Australian pro-Palestine uh, voice and advocate, uh, has been for nearly two decades now. And an expert on many, many things, and we're going to be picking his brain again this morning. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Robert, what do you have uh, this uh, episode? So I thought uh, we have the federal election coming up, which uh, is a very convoluted process for many people that don't understand. And I thought we'd ask Michael how and how and who do we vote for to be kind to Palestine? Because it is not an easy thing. So, Michael, tell us in a layman's terms, because I'm a very simple person. Um, th- there's quite a bit of depressing news. I suppose the most depressing news was um, uh, Melissa Park, a former MP from Western Australia who was also running in the um, federal election, being forced to pull out of the contest after an attack on her by the Australian-Israel lobby. And she's for, been a staunch supporter of Palestine for many years, hasn't she? Well, she's lived in Palestine as an international lawyer working for the United Nations. So... Unlike a lot of her detractors um, who've only been to Palestine on Israeli-sponsored study tours and seen a highly curated view of what's going on, she's seen the day-to-day brutality of occupation. And she actually described being at a checkpoint and a woman being forced to swallow bleach, a pregnant woman being forced to swallow bleach by Israeli soldiers. And actually mentioning that at a pro-Palestine event... Um, was a bridge too far for the Israel lobby. And they hounded her and they did the same thing they'd done with Jeremy Corbyn in the US and Ilan Omar in the United States. And they said this was symptomatic of a deeper problem of anti-Semitism within party. Mm. So she didn't want to distract. She didn't want Palestine to become a liability for the Labour Party, so she pulled out, Uh, Mm. which is kind of depressing because she didn't get any support from people like Bill Shorten, or, Chris, or um, I think it's Chris Bowen or any of the um, top Labour people who are, who are running a small target campaign on Palestine and a lot of other issues. But regarding um, how to vote for Palestine... Before, before you yep. move on, on the issue of conflating anti-Israel with anti-Semitism, uh, deliberately uh, making the two inseparable... Uh, in in a way by the pro-Israel lobby, whether in Australia, in Europe, here in, uh, in, in America. Uh, this is a, an old strategy or tactic mm. uh, in trying to dismiss any, any level of criticism to the state of Israel and trying to intimidate um, uh, basically Europeans or Australians or 
people who have this kind of complex of guilt towards what happened to the Jews in the 30s and before that and after that. Uh, so we know this is a tactic. But my question is, do we know from a Palestinian point of view, from the pro-Palestine uh, voices, whether uh, what happened with Ilan uh, Omar or Jer- Jeremy Corbyn, something that we can uh, generalize and use here in Australia in terms of the, the, the advocacy voices. How do we support the receiving end of this intimidation, being us the advocates? I, th- I suppose all we can do is keep on doing what we're doing and try not to... I, If someone calls me an anti-Semite, I try tried not to answer them because how can you prove that you're not an anti-Semite? You see, like with Melissa Park, she can talk about the shooting of children in Gaza, the abuse that happens at checkpoints, the torture chambers that Palestinians have to go through. These are all well-documented facts, Mm. but how can you prove that you're not an anti-Semite? And by actually going down that road, you actually take the view off the concrete reality of yeah. occupation and apartheid, and then you have to look inside someone's soul and say, well, you know, are they secretly anti-Semite? Do they know that they're anti-Semite? What is an anti-Semite? And you get into this kind of great big wilderness of mirrors that's impossible to get out of. So I think, you know, what we've got to do is what Jeremy Corbyn and Elon Omar and all the rest have done, don't feed the trolls, focus mm. on reality. Mm. Focus on the visceral reality of humiliation, torture, house demolitions, and murder. Stick that are to the topics every day. I think so. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going into their, their their field, and you'll never get out of it. And the Palestinians will be lost from view. Talk, but, talk, talking about leaders uh, of the parties, tell us the, our leaders of the parties being, uh, you know, Bill Shorten, and uh, what, what what are their views on Palestine? Look, Bill Shorten is no friend of Palestine. But Scott Morrison is an enemy of Palestine. And that is what I'll say the crucial difference is. Bill Shorten is very close to the Australian-Israel lobby, especially, you know, in Melbourne. And he's got a long association with them. And he will not do anything to help the Palestinians. Now, there's a lot of good people in the Labour Party who are going to push and have been pushing for for the Palestinians. For recognition? Absolutely, okay. for the recognition of Palestinian statehood. Um, now, he'll do everything to block that if he becomes prime minister, but he's not a dictator. You can't say the same for the Liberal Party. You know, there might be some secret pro-Palestinians in the Liberal Party, but you, you won't get them speaking out for Palestine. And in particular, the prime minister, he is virulently, I'm not going to say pro-Israel, I'm going to say anti-Palestinian. Mm. That's part of his baggage. It's wow. actually ideologically supported when it comes to Scott Morrison. I believe so. There is there is an element of ideology. Is this uh, his religion? Uh, I would like uh, to hear from you, uh, Michael, uh, in my interview with you uh, for the Arabic show, like we were talking before right. this interview. Uh, you uh, mentioned uh, his uh, membership or affiliations with the uh, Penta, uh, Pentecostal, Pentecostal, Pentecostal Church. Uh, Church. How does that... Thank you, Robert. You know, you're most welcome, Yusuf. <laughs> uh, how does that feed into his attitude towards Palestine slash Israel? Uh, they've got a very... Um, um, 
eccentric idea about Israel and about the Jews' place there and the necessity of supporting Israel as a fulfillment of prophecy. Um, I always go back to the Wentworth by-election, and I think the media did a poor job in covering that. They said, oh, it's all about getting the Jewish vote in Wentworth. And of course, they are a lot of um, Jews in that area. Most of those who would favour moving the Israeli embassy to Jerusalem, however, would vote liberal anyway. Um, if it was all about the Jewish vote, he'd have dropped it the day that Labour, uh, that, that, that the Liberals lost that seat on that night. Instead, he went on and on and on. And in November, he came out with Australia's new policy of recognising West Jerusalem as Israel's capital and opening up a trade and defence office there. Now, this wasn't to get the Jewish vote. You can't blame the Jewish vote for that. This was because of his very deeply held ideological convictions. And if you actually read his speech when he made that announcement, he not only said that Australia is recognising reality and every state has a right to decide its capital and blah, 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 he actually um, launched a vicious attack on the United Nations and called it anti-Semitic. There you go. Very predictably. There you go. Um, and why is it anti-Semitic? Because it passes all these UN resolutions um, deploring the shooting of children it's in exactly Gaza. It's exactly what Nikki Haley and the Trump bandwagon has been saying. Exactly. And, you know, he right now you've got to remember he doesn't have a mandate. The only mm. reason he's prime minister is because of a coup against Malcolm Turnbull. If he does get a mandate, if he does get re-elected... If he can say that, well, the Australian nation voted for me. Then he'll be... I, I'm not exaggerating. He'll be Australia's Donald Trump. And he'll be part of that right-wing coalition with Jair Bolsonaro, Viktor Orban, um, you know, the leaders of Hungary and Italy and places like that. It's a big call. That's a big call. Look, all white nationalists worship Israel. That's the one thing they've all got in common. And, you know, I mean, it's funny because the extreme right, like 80 years ago, used to hate Jews. Now they see them as holding the front line of Western civilization against the hordes of Islam. And, you know, the one thing they've all got in common is they see Israel as a way their country once was, could be, and should be again, because, you know, all of these people, they love razor wire and walls and beating up on refugees and putting people in black holes where the media can't reach and, and things like and that. And that, this is what Israel has been doing successfully for at least five decades. And it's not called apartheid there. It's called Peace. It's called security you, concerns. Exactly, exactly. So all that language has been picked up now mm. by the white nationalist leaders around the world, mm. and that's why they. That's why Netanyahu is such a rock star. When you know he visits Australia, when he visits America, there's so many people who line up behind him, mm. and you know, I'm sure that this year Brazil will move its embassy to Jerusalem, and I wouldn't if if Scott. It, I, I mean one. That hole is getting bigger. That breach in the dam is getting bigger and bigger. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if a Morrison government does it in the next three years. Uh, in fact, I'd be surprised if they don't because already we're seeing a rush towards the exit. And, yeah. So just, just going back, sorry. So if I want to vote for a Palestinian-friendly area in Mel- Melbourne or, you know, for the Australian um, federal election, 
who do we vote for? I'd say the Greens are the best. Yeah, I, I mean... But here comes the technical question. Mm-hmm. Voting for the Green might, uh, might benefit the Liberals if they couldn't make it. I mean, the, the, this, is, uh, this is, you know, the elephant in the room, and that's not my opinion. Voting, w- do, you think, do you agree with that, that if I vote the Blair, that's a good news for the Liberals? Because no, I will take I, away some votes from their, their traditional rival? I, I, well, in the lower house, you can vote Greens 1, Labour 2. And in the Senate, I'm sure the Greens won't give their preferences to the Liberal Party. They'll give it to Labor next. Mm. So really? I, I would say generally vote Liberal last, though, because this is a very dangerous right-wing government. So we can say that so. vote Liberal last and then everything else is up to you. But we prefer yeah. the Greens. I, I do. I, if you look at their policy platform, they For were Palestine. the ones who first said we will recognise Palestinian statehood. Yes. yes. And th- th- there are a lot of good people in the Greens, especially in Victoria. Yes. Yeah. That's good to know. So we have a situation where the two big names, uh, Bill Shorten and uh, Scott Morrison, one is not a friend of Palestine, the other is an enemy of Palestine. And leave it up to you. It's scary. It's very scary. And Michael, (laughs) thanks very much for that explanation. It's made it uh, a lot easier for me to understand, that's for sure. Thank you, Michael, for the in-depth. We like uh, to use this word, uh, Robert. It was very in-depth. In-depth, yes. Absolutely. So uh, I have a Palestinian love story for you. Shada Khaled is a Palestinian uh, woman uh, from a village in uh, West Bank, was engaged to Hadi Al-Hamshari in 2003, and uh, a few months after their engagement, Hadi uh, was imprisoned by Israel during the Second uh, Intifada. Hadi uh, is a member of Al-Aqsa Brigades of uh, Fatah Party. And um, he was taken to prison and he was given uh, 16 years sentence uh, to spend. And um, of course, uh, back to uh, Shada. Shada um, started receiving a monthly payment from the Palestinian Authority uh, because the Palestinian Authority uh, pays the families of prisoners uh, a monthly salary. It's not a lot. It's around uh, 1,500 shekels, which is uh, in U.S. dollars. 420 US dollars. So she started saving uh, her uh, PA salary uh, month after a month, month after a month, until she managed to build a house. In the 16 years, she waited her fiancé. She spent every dollar she saved to build a house. And when uh, Hadi Al-Hamshari was freed uh, last uh, month... um, there was not only a big celebration, uh, wedding celebration, like Palestinians do in their uh, wedding parties, but also uh, he found his uh, fiance and uh, his house uh, waiting uh, for him. So this is the type of uh, Palestinian love stories uh, that you know might go unnoticed, but are indicative of life in Palestine under occupation. What Palestinians go through that affects each and every aspect of uh, their life. So uh, this is a Palestinian uh, love uh, story I wanted to share with you and our listeners. Uh, So our Romeo and Juliet uh, are Shada and Hadi. Good to get stories like that too. Yeah. Very good. Heartwarming. So um, 
I want to also uh, take the opportunity to quickly talk about the Palestinian prisoners on the occasion of the International Day of Solidarity with the uh, Palestinian prisoners or the Prisoners' Day, the 17th of uh, April. We didn't get to talk about it last week no, we and didn't. I apologize for uh, having to put a repeat. Maybe we can quickly uh, talk about the Palestinian prisoners. Uh, apart from the figures, we are not prepared with figures. We're talking about the 52 year of occupation and um, more than 800,000 Palestinians have been imprisoned since 1967 by Israel. And when you talk about this figure to a population of about, uh, what's the population of West Bank? Around 2 million, 2.2 million. So uh, more than one third of the West Bank population was imprisoned by Israel at a stage in, in, in their life. Well, there's not, there's not a family that's untouched by it. Whether, whether it's a son or a daughter or a mother, they've all been touched by, by putting in, in prison. Yes. Quite often, administrative and prison, which is, you know, they put them in there for no particular reason, and mm. they can. Mm. They also held dead bodies hostage. Mm. They imprison the dead bodies of Palestinians. And today, as we speak, there are 253 Palestinian dead bodies uh, that were being withheld, being withheld by Israel, and being denied uh, a, a burial, and it's just bombast. It's just unbelievable. Think of the family who know that their son was killed or died in pr- in, in in prison, but they didn't receive the dead body for proper burial. It's just cruelty, isn't it? There's no security justification or anything else. It's just... And moreover, not just because the military institution chooses to do that, the Israeli Knesset voted in favor of holding the dead bodies of Palestinians. On what basis? On the basis of that, the, the demonstration that the burial or the funeral, the funeral might turn into uh, peace-threatening exercised by Palestinians. Protest. So at the moment, there are 15 Palestinians who have been kept, uh, 15 dead bodies, uh, only in the last two years after the voting of, 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 of this. And this is one thing that didn't get as much coverage as it deserves. Mm. Uh, whether in English or in Arabic, I mean the fact that you kill the you imprison them, you kill them, and then you deny them burial. Mm. How far can you go in your in your inhumane treatment? Of There's people? nothing I want to. How far can you go? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I once heard a talk about the occupation, not just of space in Palestine with the settlements and the roads and things like that. It's the occupation of time. Hmm. controlling the Palestinians at checkpoints. You may be able to go to your job or your university or school or whatever when we decide. You may be able to bury your relative and have closure when we decide if you're good. And it's all about making people wait, making you move, them move to your schedule and things like that. And, you know, the, the amount of hours, hundreds of hours every year that are just wasted mm. at checkpoints and, you know, in detention um, and, and things like that, uh, waiting for a bypass road to let you through and, it's, you know, or I, um, 
a village to have its curfew lifted time after time. And people don't realize that how life is just kind of like being destroyed and wasted by waiting Mm. in administrative detention. Six months, and after that six months, maybe we'll let you out or maybe we'll just roll it over again. And they will tell you on the last day of the six months that there will be another six months. And your relatives who are waiting for you to come out. Yes. You know, your family wants to throw you a party and all that kind of stuff. But they don't know. They've got your bedroom ready and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, how does, you know, it's sometimes less a horror of shooting people dead in the Gaza Strip for protesting as a daily grind of forcing people to destroy their own houses. Mm. Uh, yes, they actually uh, send you uh, an invoice. Mm. They come and destroy your house and then send you an invoice. Or, or if you can't afford it, they watch you actually do it yourself. Yeah, or, you have yes. the option of destroying what you've built. I mean, how heartbreaking is that, you know, in Jerusalem? It's happening a lot right now because yeah, Trump's given the This is not one, a one-off story. This keeps happening. At, I would say every year there are at least 10 cases yeah. like this in Jerusalem particularly because Jerusalem, uh, the Israeli project for Jerusalem, uh, relies on uh, enclaved settlements and relies on apartment by apartment as opposed to hill tops uh, like in West Bank. Mm. Mm. So it keeps happening, and uh, we also know that the Israeli occupation uses Palestinians as a laboratory for their uh, machine industry and for for their uh, gun industry and for their uh, even uh, medical and uh, pharmaceutical. Uh, uh, industry, and that's mm. why Israeli when, when Israelis go to uh, uh, guns, uh, wh- whatever they call it, uh, military uh, fairs internationally, they sell the highest price. We did an interview uh, a month ago with Yunus uh, Arar. Yunus, uh, you've been to his house, and he mentioned how long it takes him to uh, go to Ramallah to his work. On a daily basis. From Beit Umar. From, from Beit Umar, which is one of the villages near uh, Hebron. In uh, the time, the occupying Palestinians' time and uh, making a decision to waste it, to reduce the Palestinian productivity and to reduce the Palestinian efficiency and to basically block any future possibility for uh, any, any normal situation for the, for the Palestinian economy. Well, in, in Beit Umar, they actually have a checkpoint that was closed for two years. So they couldn't actually get out of the village for two years. They could walk, but they couldn't use any vehicles because it was physically closed. Mm. And so sometimes he can get to, to Ramallah, and sometimes he can't, mm. and it's a uh, regular basis. And, I mean, the silly thing is because they know who he is because the soldiers go there for you know three months, thereabouts. They get to know who he is, but yet they still have to ask, show me your ID, stand over here for a minute, where are you going, who are you going to see? That's just a game that they play. Mm. Horrible, horrible thing. It seems that Australia has blocked another Palestinian uh, coming into Australia. So, Michael, we've had a few of those over the last year or so. Tell us about how that works and why they do it. Well, often they just um, deny them a visa for no reason. That happened to Bassam Tamimi, I think, two or three years ago. Uh, Who's the father of Ahad Tamimi? Ahad Tamimi, a great yeah. organizer in West Bank of and also totally non-violent, non-violent, non-violent yeah. uh, Palestinian voice who just uh, was invited by the Marxist conference three years ago, and nevertheless, uh, Peter Dutton, uh, our uh, immigration minister uh, back then, uh, decided uh, to revoke after giving him a mm. visa. Yeah, he already had the visa. Mm. He actually had left uh, West Bank yes. to Jordan, waiting for. Uh, 
to, to, to come to Australia yep. from Jordan, but then he was sent an email uh, by our embassy uh, in Jordan telling him that his visa is no longer valid. So who, yeah, that was three years ago. So who's uh, the latest one? Uh, Remy Kanaze. He's a Palestinian-American poet and activist. He was also going to come over and speak at the Socialist Conference, and they just wouldn't process his visa, and so he didn't make it. And this is the kind of like silencing of Palestinian voices in Australia by this ultra-right-wing government. Because remember, they give visas to white nationalists to come over mm. and speak on Q&A and things like that. Yeah, they've that. had a few over in the last year. Exactly. And, and, and they would say this is freedom of speech. Yeah, but, the, but when the, it comes to Palestinians, we don't get to, uh, the same treatment. And these are not inciting racial hatred or anything like that. Even the Israelis wouldn't uh, uh, um, accuse them of that kind of thing. But because they're Palestinian and because this is, a, I would say, a white nationalist government, mm. um, they're, they're shutting them down. What, what does Remy do? He's a poet and a writer, lives in America, like Bassam Tamimi, he's never had any history of violence or illegal activity. And he's a poet. His, his sin How dangerous is to be is that? a Palestinian advocate. This is threatening peace in Australia. A poet and a writer. Yes. Exactly. That, sh- that shows the blatant, blatantness of it. So That goes back to my earlier point of why you need to vote Liberal last. This is an anti-Palestinian government. Um, uh, and, you know, we'll see more of that if, if they get back in. If they have the mandate. Exactly. That's good night. And I want to also touch on another element where they showed uh, uh, anti-Palestinian uh, treatment, and this time from uh, the Department of Immigration. As you might uh, know, uh, Michael, uh, I have a bit of experience in applying for uh, Palestinians who are fleeing conflict zones, uh, and since 2019, since 2013, uh, the Liberal government um, did not approve a single application from a Palestinian fleeing Syria. Not one, single not even one, one single one. And uh, they would say they will give you. They don't have to give you reasons mm. or uh, why they didn't do it. But the type of uh, responses that we get when we speak about it with uh, some of the officials or uh, MPs uh, from the Liberals is that we only are giving uh, this to uh, vulnerable minorities. And this is their language they use to say that we can only accept Christians from Syria. Because Palestinians we, aren't a vulnerable But that's minority. what I'm saying. But we are a minority. Absolutely. The Palestinians of Syria are a minority, and they are as vulnerable as the Christians of Syria because of there is some anti-Palestinian sentiment in some of the, whether opposition or pro-Assad. And but nevertheless, even though that we mechanic, we did we did the manual application of hundreds of these families since 2013, our success rate is zero. Right. Look, I'll just say this: they're also um, very keen to give refugee visas to white South Africans. Now, why are they picking on Palestinians in particular? Because I would say, as a lot of people are recognizing today, they're fighting the front line of the struggle against white nationalism. Mm. Because, like I say, all white nationalist politicians around the world look to Netanyahu as As their front man. Mm. Yeah. And the Palestinians, because they don't know how to quit, because even last year, after Trump recognized 
Israel, Jerusalem is Israel's capital. They rose up in Gaza. Yes. And they walked towards a border, insisting on their right of return. And on one day, more than 50 people were killed. Exactly. And that's why they're hated by the far right, because um, no matter what happens to them, they keep bouncing back and insisting on their humanity. And that's why they're an inspiration to oppress people around the world. And our determination will never be broken. That's all we have time for, uh, Robert, uh, this week. It is again. Time goes very, very quickly. And we must say thank you to Michael. And I think we'll get Michael on a few more, I think, a little bit more. The door is open. I look for, forward to it. For the esteemed Michael uh, Shaw. Our esteemed resident guest. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Really an honor to uh, speak to you. And uh, I would like to say uh, salam uh, to uh, Jean, your mother. I hope she's listening. I wish her a pleasant day. She's, n- she's your number one fan. Ah, I'm honored. Thank you. That's all we have time for. And uh, remember to, t- in, to tune in uh, next uh, Saturday, same time, 9.30 in the morning. Enjoy the weekend. Until then... Have a great time and salam. Goodbye.